Actually, to all of you who are here, but a special thanks to like our worship team and, and others who have to come early <clears throat> and help put this together. Um, for those of you who are watching on live stream, you should be clapping for them right now. Um, for those of you who are here, I'm clapping for you and grateful for your making it here this morning. One thing I, I do want to mention to you before we get started is there is... Um, Last week, it was kind of funny, I said, what is this day? And I was expecting everyone to say Super Bowl Sunday. And um, and to my amazement, I didn't realize it was Groundhog Day, and that's what everyone said. Um, <clears throat> so as we go through February, we start heading through a month called, uh, a month called March. A- anybody know what usually happens in March? Basketball. Bam, March Madness. I knew you guys would get that one. What I wanted to share with you is that we are going to have what we call a March Madness, kind of a tip-off tourney, and you can see it in the um, in, in, in your weekly. You'll find that, and if you're watching in, online, I would love for you to look into this. We're going to have our first annual kind of tip-off tourney. Instead of just watching March Madness, we're going to encourage you to come and play and be a part of what we do here at the gym. So please make note of that, and we're excited about that coming up. Uh, we need people to register for that. Well, I have to share with you that when I was in first grade, uh, they do a little reading thing and then they put you in different groups. And as first graders, you're not really sure what it is, but I was put in the Redbirds group and there was a Bluebird and a Blackbird group. And at that point, I don't think they cared too much about it. They didn't think as much about your self-esteem, but I started in the Redbird group. I was in this group <clears throat> and for some reason I got moved to the Bluebird group. And then I was moved down, I say down, because even as a kid you knew the Blackbird group was not the one you want to be in. And, and honestly, it wasn't due to reading, it was due to the fact that my teacher couldn't keep my attention. And, and it was like, she was constantly, can I have your attention please, that kind of idea. And as I went through the year at one point, because I really enjoyed school and I enjoyed these other kids, it was a blast. Um, my, her desk was here and she put my desk right next to her looking out at everyone, which was a really cool thing. Now I had everybody's attention. Um, and I had some of that trouble going through school. Some of you might know in Crystal area, there's a grade school called Forest Grade School. That's where I went. And you got S's for satisfactory and you got I's for insufficient. And, um, I would get I's and sometimes I minuses on two basic categories, penmanship, and self-control. And my mom would try and explain to me what self-control is. I remember one time we had a real strong conversation because I actually got an I minus minus, which wasn't in the report card kind of thing. But I have to tell you, through my academic career, eventually I began to understand, thank God he got my attention and, and began to change those kind of habits um, But I wanted to share that with you because if you think about what we're looking at when we look at these plagues and we move into this part of Exodus where we have shifted from this kind of preparation of and call of Moses, which was all kind of a preliminary to the main part of the book, which begins with Moses coming before Pharaoh. And if you could think of it this way, it's as if he's saying, Pharaoh and Egypt and the world, your attention, please. Your attention, please. Not Moses, but God through Moses saying, I would like your attention. 
In fact, the key verse in this passage of scripture, which really is kind of the key verse throughout all these plagues, is found in in chapter 7, verse 17. And here's what it says. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, which is always a sense of his authority, it's the staff of Moses and Aaron, but it's often called the staff of God. I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed to blood. And so what he's trying to say is, Pharaoh, Egypt, the whole world, God says, I want you to know that I am the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand and I will read these verses. But um, I, you know, if you were to have... The judge come into court law, he would go, all rise. There's a sense where the word of God is so weighty that the, the Lord God Almighty of the world is speaking. So I'm asking kind of as we give our attention to these words. It says in these in these verses, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But now you know, not, but n- until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile. It will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. And the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. And the Lord said to Moses, take Aaron, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn into blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile and all the water was changed into blood and the fish in the Nile died and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned And went into the palace and did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Let's pray. Father, you are asking all who you have created, all people, to have ears to hear, to listen to your voice. And to know and experience you as their God, above all other gods, above all things in our life. Teach us, uh, through these words, more about who you are. And and teach us about our own hearts and our own response to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here you have this uh, beginning in verse 14. If you can kind of follow with that verse 14 and just put that up there, you'll see that Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He, he doesn't pay attention. God says, your attention, please, to Moses and Aaron, and, and he won't yield. In fact, the word unyielding is really the word stubborn. It's, it's that idea in Hebrew. So he, he, he begins to 
harden, and, and in that hardening of his heart begins to create a callous, and we'll see that as it goes through the story. And so when you go into verses 15 and 16, and I'm just going to take time to explain the story and then give you a few points at the end. As you go through this story, you'll see that, that God says, go to Pharaoh, and I want you to confront him. And so Moses goes out to the river to, to confront him there. What it's important to note, and I'll just kind of say this up front, as we think about these plagues, this word plague that you think of, so we talk about the plagues that came upon Pharaoh, it is only used one time in this whole passage of scripture. Not in this one, but it's found in chapter 9, verse 3, where it says the word in Hebrew, a terrible plague on the livestock. And I'll share with you why I think it's plague, but if you have Bibles, you'll notice above each of the different um, acts of God of judgment where he brings pain into their situation, it will say, this is not in the, the Hebrew Bible, but in your translations, it'll say the plague of the blood, the plague of the frogs, the plague of the gnats or lice or the plague of the flies. And it just goes and it lists that little heading. And so we get this idea of plague. And, and it is in a sense of plague, but it's really more the idea. The word it means um, is more the word idea of a striking, a blow, a, a hitting. It's, it's receiving this blow. It's causing some pain, a little pain in some sense, in order to awaken you, to get your attention. And I think it's really important to understand that. So when we think of plagues, we think that God's plaguing them. He's, he's not. He's really, he's doing something to try and get their attention. And there's a variety of those kind of words that are used then. You'll see it as we go through this. Today, as we look at it in verse 17, it says strike. It's the idea of Hit. And there's three plagues, three sets of three plagues, right? Nine plagues and a tenth, one-tenth being a number, a symbolic number in Hebrew that talks about the totality of God's judgment and the pain that he's bringing on uh, on Pharaoh and the, and, the, and the people of Egypt for the world to, to know that God is God. There's three sets of three, and in the beginning of each of these sets of three, you get this idea, God says to Pharaoh, to Moses, Go confront Pharaoh by the river, by the Nile, by the bank of the Nile. So in the beginning of each of these sets of three, so as you look at the first and the fourth and the seven plagues of blood, the flies, and the hail, it all begins with this characteristic little phrase, go to him as he's on his way to the bank of the Nile. And it's important to, that those phrases are there. They're not just kind of, well, let's try and do it here this time. Many times you'll meet him with him in the court of Pharaoh, but there is something important about each of these three sets because these three sets kind of increase in intensity and they have kind of a, a pattern to them. And, and we'll talk again more about that in the future. But I want you to understand that what he's trying to do is get Pharaoh's attention. He has started out by having the staff, which he makes reference in here, turns into a snake. The reason he he says that is because the sun god of Ra, which was over Egypt, was a, a cobra kind of looking representation of this god. And so when his staff becomes a snake and eats the other two staffs that have become snake, the magician snake, there's a point that he's making there. He's saying, he's saying the god of, of, of the Hebrews, the god of this world, the one that Pharaoh's to know, the one that Egypt's to know, the one that all the world to know, today even, this god is greater than the sun god of Ra. So then he says, I want you to go down to the Nile, the bank of the Nile, where Pharaoh goes on a probably a daily basis. 
Because at the bank of the Nile, the Nile was considered the life stream. It was the artery of water that, that would send when it would flood throughout all the rest of the land. Water so that in this desert area, crops could grow. And I, 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 I think it's important that you understand how this can be. I was down in um, visiting our missionaries, Jim and Aaron Wiley, who are just south of Phoenix, Scottsdale area. They are missionaries to Native Americans. And they said to me, you know, we'd love to show you some ancient rooms of the Hohokam people. They were people who lived from about 300 A.D. to about 1500 A.D. They were desert people. And these people at around 1500 A.D., something happened and, and all of a sudden the civilization there ended. It wasn't a war. They could tell that. There was more of the changing of the climate and they found in actual artifacts some warnings about global warming. But no, I'm just kidding about that. <clears throat> but, but from 300 to 1500 AD, these people thrived. And in the last three, 400 years, they didn't thrive as much. But they would receive water from the Salt River and the Gia River. And it would come off of the mountains. And as it would come off the mountains, it would flood the whole desert area. They have found canals and we walked canals an irrigation networking system that was phenomenal they they didn't have engineering tools in that day but they had they had these canals that would go for miles and without engineering tools for like 1 mile they could see the descent they would they would descend about a foot or so every mile i couldn't do that to the back of the sanctuary and in some of the historians who talk about these people, these Hohokam people, they say their irrigation system, their flooding system, that, that where they grew all these different kinds of crops, rivaled that of Egypt. So that's what's going on in Egypt. The River Nile is the lifeblood of that whole country. If it floods and the canals flood and they go into these little tributary systems, navigation, irrigation system, they eat well. They eat well from the fish in the Nile. They eat well from the way the crops are made. And so you see this picture of, of God saying to Moses, I want you to go down. And the, the Nile represented the probably one of the most important gods of their day. He was the god Hopi. H-A-P-I. God happy who the Nile, because of its life and fertility and, and all that it brought, they worshipped this God happy who was represented by the Nile. So you get it? It's not kind of like, well, let's use a river. He's going, I want you to, as I had the snakes strike Ra, I want these. Now this action will strike the Nile. And this place that you think brings you the source of life will become a place of stench. Because there is no other God. Before God. Now you might be wondering why would they do something like this? Because if you um, look at what's happening at that time, these are the people of God, the Hebrews, who have become slaves. And in that very same Nile was years before that, because the Hebrews were getting too large as a people, they needed to thin them out. And so the Pharaoh said, take every baby, zero to two, around the time of Moses, and throw them into the Nile as a way of exterminating them, but also in a sense as a gift to the God. And this very God who they think is giving life is now going to become their very threat as it turns into blood. And um, you, you see these Egyptian people who were 
oppressing God's people. They were oppressing people, not just God's people, but, God, but people for centuries. Go back and you look at the, the pyramids of Giza, and, and you can look at other, there's a, the Red Pyramid and others. They are built around 27, 2600 AD. Abraham comes about 2000 AD. Somewhere around 1500 AD is Moses. God has allowed for a people to oppress another people for a long period of time. And in a sense, he's coming in for a while. He brings the Hebrew people in their midst and in their midst with, with Joseph, who, who then helps rule with that Pharaoh. There's a time of reprieve and blessing. And now they've moved far away from it. And God's saying, it's time for the world to know. It's time for you, Pharaoh, to know. It's time for Egypt to know that what you're doing is wrong. And the gods you're serving are not the gods of blessing and life. And so, you get this picture of Pharaoh who is on his way to to probably take a bath on a daily basis, but his ritual would also be to worship at the Nile. And here is Moses standing at the Nile, at the bank of the Nile, striking it, and the water turns to blood. This color of blood, and, and Pharaoh doesn't get his bath basically, right? And so, here you get this picture, Pharaoh being confronted, verses 15 and 16. And you see here in these verses, as he says, in verses 17 and 18, as you go on and you you, you see, he says, strike the water of the Nile. Then verse 19, he goes on and says, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over streams and canals, over the ponds and the reservoirs, and they'll turn to blood. Uh, I want to explain as well the idea of blood. It's not literal, actual blood, but it's the color of blood. It obviously in scripture has a pointing to the blood that will be shed for all mankind that brings life. But that's not what's going on really here. It was a, um, it, it, it was an algae that would come off the Ethiopian mountains that would um, come down into the river and it would turn it a color, a dark red color, color of blood. Commentator Huey says that German botanist Gessner proposed that the mountain algae known as flagellates and their bacteria entered the water and caused the death of the fish and the stench of the water that would make it unfit for drinking. And I'll talk about these natural cycles. We'll talk about that more to come. Jewish scholar Yu Kasudo writes that the water resembled blood. And if this was a natural, even common phenomenon, we can understand why it has no effect on Pharaoh. The impact is not so much that it occurred. The impact is that when Moses struck the water, it's timing. And it's also the impact is in its pervasiveness. That's why he he basically says all the water everywhere. It's everywhere. This This is what Pharaoh comes to know as a flood or a a a a a, a um, plague of biblical proportions, right? It's just huge. Exodus seven twenty to twenty one. Moses and Aaron Pharaoh is about to take his morning bath to pay tribute to this great God Hopi, and Moses raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials, struck the water of the Nile, and all the water changed into blood. Verses twenty two through twenty three. We now see the Egyptians. They come with the magicians. They have done the thing with the snakes, but the snakes ate those snakes up. So now they come and they do the same thing because they know how to take that algae and make that look blood red. And they do that. And, and, and Pharaoh's impressed. 
Ah, see, they're just doing what, what we can do, what our gods can do. They achieved their results by spells. The difference in Scripture is that Moses' results were obtained solely by reliance on God alone, both in its timing and the pervasiveness of it. And he says, it says here in Scripture that Pharaoh's heart continued to harden. He was convinced in his unbelief that this blow, this sign of God, was merely a natural phenomenon. And it says it didn't even phase him. You see, those, the, the words there are, are um, important. It's kind of like he didn't even take it to heart. It, 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 it didn't even cause him to think twice. And it ends here in verse 24. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. And that's an important verse right there. It's, it, it gives you a kind of a sense of eye, an eyewitness account. The Hebrew is written in such a way that it's, it's kind of like you can tell that someone is writing what they saw. But it also answers a logical question. Where did they get the water to drink? If everywhere it was the color of blood, how did they get water? Because in a desert, you need what? Water to survive. So how do you, how do you get water? He tells you very clearly because he wants you to know that, that there they dug a well along the sandy shore of those Nile River. And as they, any, as a survivalist, you will know that if you go to a site of a polluted kind of stream or body water and you dig deep enough in sand, you can get to good, clean water. Because the sand acts as a filtration system. So the way they survived, and, and, and the writer just wants to go, okay, I'll answer that question for you. Here's how they got clean water and they survived in the desert for this period of time. As they would go, what it did is it made their life harder. It caused all of them to kind of go, whoa, curse this God of Moses. Right? It made their life, and that's another reason. When you think of the sand and the filtration of the, of this algae through the sand so that you can get this clean water, it's also another reason why it was, most scholars believe it wasn't blood, literal blood, because you can't filtrate blood. Okay? So what's happening in this situation here is I look at it in, in this way, and I think it's an important um, thing to think about. Uh, I was thinking about this, and it, it really hit me more last night when I was continuing praying through and thinking through this message. But um, what's going on at this time is that God is doing all that he can to get the people's attention. And he's, doing one, he's basically doing one blow after another blow after another blow to try and get them to go, wait a second, there is a God here who's greater than the gods we've been putting our hearts and our, 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 um, our, our life into. So he has a blow of, of the blood, the frogs, the gnats, the, the flies, and there's this pestilence on the livestock, and, and then there's boils, and, and from boils they go to hail, and the hail destroys some of the crop, but what really makes it bad is they're now a plague of locusts. And the locusts destroy even more crop, and then it ends up with a plague of darkness, a darkness that is so dark that you can actually feel it. I look at it this way. It's similar to putting like economic uh, strain or economic sanctions on some country, right? Think about it. You put economic sanctions on the country in order to get their attention. In order to get their attention, it makes life hard. It makes hard, life hard more so on the people than on the leader. And that's even what's happening here. You see, the life is hard for Pharaoh. He doesn't like it. The, the people in the courts are going to probably do okay. But the rest of the people are feeling this. Because we do things like that to get people's attention. So, for instance, think of baseball. There was a sign-stealing incident that went on, Right? 
and they come out with some kind of sanctions that make it hard on the Houston Astro team. And you're supposed to go boo because you're a twin fan, right? Boo. So that people will do what? They will think twice before instituting a sign-stealing system again because they know if they do, they're going to lose some draft choices. They're going to have some other things that occur. Some people will be fired in the head offices that are probably some really gifted people. You think about it this way. God is working with all he can to get all people's attention so that they could know him. So that they could understand who he is. And at some points, in this situation, God is willing to say, I will do what I need to do to tie and get your attention so that you will think and act differently. This has been going on since 2600 AD, and now we're talking about 1500 AD, somewhere in that period of time. It is time for the world to know that this great Egypt and all its gods are not the gods who rule this world. And he does this in an amazing way because he takes a people, the Hebrew people, who he has chosen, who he has given promises to, in order for people to know that the the poorest, most broken people in the world... If they open their heart to this God, this God comes in and and calls them to walk with him, he will make sure that they will be safe and secure through all that they seem to go through. God is going to be with you because he is greater and bigger than any of the gods that you think are standing against you. That's, that's, that's a huge loss. He takes, the Hebrew people at a certain point kind of go, well, we were chosen and they get proud about it. There's no pride in that. They were chosen by God to become a, a, a model to the rest of the world that God loves to take broken, sinful people who need him and are desperately calling out to him. And he loves to take people like you and me and others who understand in humility their need of God. And he says, I will be your God. And all the other things that seem so attractive or seem better, they pale in comparison. So there's a story. So let me just share with you three things that I'd love for you to understand from this scripture. And it's around this idea of thinking. You may not have thought of it this way before. But what if pain and judgment in such instances like this that we're talking about were were really God's mercy? Ever thought of it that way? What if God had come, as he did, numerous times to Pharaoh and to the people, many times just talking to him, event, you know, the first time that he, that we see even before this, he takes a snake, no one's hurting this one, he's just showing him, hey, look at turn, and he hardens his heart. So now he starts to say, you know what, I really love you so much, I so want the whole world to know who I am, I want your people to know who I am, that I'm willing to to do whatever is necessary to get your attention because this pain that I'm causing you now is not going to be compared to the pain that you will feel if in your character and in your choices you continue to say, God, I don't want you in my life. Does that make sense? It really should make sense because even parents, good parents, will do things for their children in order to make sure their children don't end up hurting themselves more in the long run. We have to let them have some consequences. But there are certain consequences you go, I just don't want them to face this when they're when at a certain age. So you do all you can to make sure things are safe. But let's just say in your home, you have a red-hot, coiled electric stove, and it's just about the level where your four- or five-year-old could reach up and put their hand on it. 
And you've told the child in every way possible, you can't do this. You've been up. And eventually you see the child reaches out for it. And you, what do you do? You go, please, you don't remove me and you try and get their attention on something else. Now, some of you who believe there is no, I just want to say, sometimes you have to resort to a slap on the hand. To, to allow them to understand that you're getting their attention. That this could scar them for life. It's a last resort thing. Could it be that sometimes God has to, when we will not pay attention over time through all kinds of different ways that he comes to us, could it be that God allows for pain, pain of our own choices to come in to awaken us and get our attention because he loves us so much, because he knows what could be will be much worse if he doesn't stop it. So God decides to add another convincing argument, uh, voice to this argument, and it's the voice of the plagues. God causes the natural phenomena to behave in unusual ways. God uses the miracle of the ordinary to do what is extraordinary, to speak of himself to mankind. He uses nature to get their attention. In such a way that you either can go, well, that was just an incredible formation of events naturally in the cycle of, of, of our world that happened that, wow. Or you go, wow, I see God's hand in this. And you know what's interesting is as we go through this passage of scripture at a certain point when he is going blow after blow, there's one blow where he says now he just makes a distinction and kills the children of Israel's side so they don't, aren't a part of that blow. And then he also at one point says, in his mercy and grace. Any of you in Egypt, if you want to kind of not feel the pain of this hail that comes down, I encourage you to come in, says Moses. And it says a lot of them didn't, but some feared the word of the Lord. So I'm trying to get you to think about this. We have a modern mindset that says God, a lot of people believe, when you read a story like this, you believe, yep, that's the kind of God. He's a God of anger. He just wants to really hit you. He wants to hit you hard. And so you walk in your life and you're afraid, kind of like, oh, if I just do something wrong, God's going to bam like that. That's a lie. That's the last thing God wants to do. But in mercy, if he, if you are moving such that you are hardening your heart and you are moving to a place where your heart is becoming so hard, he will do what he can to get your attention. But on the other extreme is this God who is like a grandfather who just, oh, whatever you want to do. Oh, yeah, go put your hand over there and get, get it burned. That's nice. You see what I mean? There's this God of mercy and grace who does everything he can to say, I want your attention. So my question on this is, is there any place in your life where God has been speaking to you and he says, I just want your attention. I just, I want, I want you to listen. Here's the second thing I want you to think about. You may not have thought of it this way before. But what if God provided signs for all people? Every person he's ever created, he provides signs for them to know that he is real. If you look at verse 17 of 7, it says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. And this is a startling turn of events. It's a novel idea in God's word at this point in the history of the Bible being written and in the history of the people of God. 
Because up to this point in the Bible, this announcement that you will know that I am the Lord has been spoken only to the patriarchs, both Abraham and Jacob, only to Moses, and only to the people of Israel. It is at this point that he turns. This is the first time it is spoken to a non-Israelite. Which gives you this picture of here is this God who not only came um, to these people who are broken, but he came for the whole world. And he speaks to this Old Testament scholar, Douglas K. Stewart, writes, In effect, it was part of the very early announcement of the gospel to the Gentiles. It was not a mere statement of identification, but a declaration of the application of God's saving power. There is a revelation of God's saving power in the statement for all people. It points a little bit later to a verse in Exodus 12, verse 12, that says, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. That's what he's coming to do. It wasn't to come and punish people. It was to show them that the God that they're serving is not the God that will save them. And even in Egypt, they were given the opportunity the people were to return to him. So here's my question. What if God is calling us to think and act differently? To truly, I want you to really prayerfully think about this, to truly believe that God is willing to provide signs of who he is and his presence to all people. Uh, yes, he's God's word and, and we share God's word, but what if God is the kind of God that will work with every person in a way that they uniquely can understand them and he's willing to provide signs? And that God desires that all people will know and experience him. God wants all people to have what I call God encounters. And if that's the case, there is a sense then that we are all like Moses and Aaron's. We are all like Moses and Aaron, so we are keeping our eyes open and praying and saying, God, we recognize that you have come, that you want to provide your salvation, your gift of your life in their lives to all people. So I'm asking you and praying on behalf of others that those who are around me who don't know you, what if you were to start praying, God, I'm praying that if you want to use me, great. If there's others you want to use, but I'm praying that that person who I love would have a God encounter with you. The reason I say this is because if we go into the spring, one of the things I'm going to call us as a church to do, we're going to work with a bunch of other churches in this Minnesota area and, and really throughout the world. It's called Go 2020. So in May, we're going to really kind of ramp that up. But we want to just talk about Go 2020. What would it be like if God used us to pray for and to care for and then when we have opportunities to share so that people could have a God encounter? If you just go to this story right here, you see this incredible God who comes first to a Pharaoh who is just, it seems like his heart is so hard, and yet if he gives signs to Pharaoh, surely he gives it to all people. And maybe you haven't thought about it this way, but what if, what if not only... God would use those signs that sometimes are painful to, to reveal his mercy because he loves us so much. And what if God, and you think about it this way, was really willing to provide signs to all people. So none of us, you know what, we're not doing this alone. We've got a God who's seeking to send signs and have people encounter him. And what if this God was also a God who gave all people a choice? They freely had the choice to either... Like Pharaoh, going, yeah, not going to give that one a second thought. Or the choice to see that 
and to open their heart. We're going to take um, time to um, come together in communion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward at this time. But I want us to lead us into this communion because one of the things that's really clear in this passage of scripture as we look at these kind of strikes and blows, we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ who took the blows and strikes on our behalf. Do you know that um, it says in the word of God, and sometimes this one's hard for me to understand, that, that, um, that, that God actually intentionally struck his son? And you go, why? Well, I'll just tell you, if you're experiencing pain, let me just encourage you here. Not all pain is pain because he's trying to get your attention because you're doing something wrong. The pain that Jesus experienced was pain suffering for other people. But also Jesus did something else. He took the blows, the strikes that were meant for us into his own body. The sin and all that we ourselves um, when we just look at our own selfishness and we come to a reality and a grasp of what it means to um, to offend and hurt a holy God. And when you get real with that and you go, I can't believe that in, in your heart, if you've ever been in that place where you're just going, God, how can you forgive that? I, how can you forgive again? It's because of Jesus. And we're going to take communion in that way. So I'm going to ask the servers to come up at the tables if they would. And we're going to take communion a little bit differently. And it's going to work out great because there's, uh, you, you, you get to come up to one of these different tables. And there will be people here who will serve you communion. But I'm going to ask as we, as we take communion. Where, do we have a song we were singing before that? No. Yep. We are. We'll have a song that will be taking place during communion. Yeah, so you okay. Can sit, so we'll be singing a song during the communion. So the servers will come up and we're going to take communion together. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head right now. And as you guys kind of play in the background here, I'm going to ask you just to continue to, 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 to think. To think and, and say, God, how are you th- causing me to think and maybe act differently in this situation that I'm in right now before you? So with your head bowed and as you kind of prepare your heart for a moment here, I'm just going to ask you to be thinking. Maybe that God is trying to get your attention and he is saying there's just something you need to see because I love you so much. And you know in your heart that what you're moving towards is displeasing to God or what you are doing. And he's just saying, you know what? I love you. I love you. I want you to think and I want you to act. I want you to repent. I want you to come and trust me because I took these blows for you so you didn't have to. But for some, you might be in this place where, it, where you hear this voice that's just condemning you and, 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 and you go, yeah, I know I'm a rotten person. No, you aren't. God loves you. He has grace for you. The reason you have this meal is because God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus that he would take away all your sin. That which is in the past, which is in the present and the future. He, he looks at you with love. And it's it, what you need to do, the choice you need to have is to open your heart and say, God, I want to experience and receive that love. I, I want to dwell on the truth of who you say I am. So as we take communion, as you come forward, you are taking um, this blood, which is a blood that brings life to those who trust him. You're taking this this bread which has been broken so that you would know that his body has taken the punishment of your own sin so that you can live in his grace and you can experience his mercy and you can walk with him
So I'm going to ask you if you would like to come forward in a moment here to take communion and to receive it, to come down the aisle. And then um, kind of if you are on this right, your left side over here, come down that left side and then come out and come back into your aisle over on your right as you're walking up this way. Father, we open our hearts and we ask that as we take this gift of communion that God we would celebrate the incredible mercy and grace that you have given us that you have come to us with signs that have opened our eyes and we thank you for that and we praise you and we say these things in Jesus name.